SGX under scrutiny in Singapore as the stock experiences a dead cat bounce following the MSCI shock. Italian government debates titanic market structure deck chair repo as Rome dies a long economic death, or is something more macro afoot? Hong Kong exchanges are powering up despite the China situation, as London Stock Exchange traders think they can shorten their hours in a curiously correlated vacuum just as Moscow expands their opening day to a multiple of LSEG. B3 restating the Bovespa goodwill, and MOEX launch a nifty tweak to open interest. My name is Patrick L. Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast. Italy's ruling coalition debates a bid for Borsa Italiana went the headline in the Brussels Bugle, aka the Financial Times, this week. Italy's coalition government is debating whether to bid for all or part of Borsa Italiana as Rome seeks to take back control of strategic assets. Oh lord, I wrote on Monday, please preserve us from half-wits. This is so spectacularly misguided on every level that if replayed as a parody, nobody would find the joke amusing. The rationale appears to be that Italy is so bankrupt only controlling the secondary market for BTP trading can help the country secure funding. Nationalised industries are squalidly disorganised rent-seekers at the best of time, without a purpose. The notion of an Italian state-controlled nationalised industry is, to put it mildly, staggeringly unappealing. Italy, you may recall, has an economy the same size as when I lived there in the late 1990s. Twenty years on, the government is fiscally bankrupt, and we can see from this idiocy not too hot on actually getting to grips with what it needs to do, which is deregulate a stifled economy and let it grow from an industrial base withered by generations of mismanagement by political interference and, much more recently, further encumbered by the use of the euro. The Italian state is playing with fire, attempting to force control over market structure where it has been proven much more successful at serving clients and raising funds than state officials could ever manage. Of course, as I said, that pith was written at Lightspeed Monday. Upon reflection, I'm beginning to wonder, might something larger be at play here? Watch this space. Over in Kazakhstan, the stock exchange, perhaps as part of their competitive attempt to wrest more business from the newer Astana International Exchange, item three from the AGM which was passed was not to pay dividends on ordinary shares of the exchange on the 2019 results, but to spend net income profit in the amount of 100% of profits on the exchange's development. Watch this space too, I think. Over at the World Diamond Federation, not an exchange we would normally look at, but very interestingly, they have acquired the Israeli Get Diamonds digital platform. That's an attempt to manage to modernise the World Federation of Diamond Bourses in a move spearheaded by the Israeli Diamond Exchange President, Yoram Dvash, who was elected President of the World Federation of Diamond Bourses just a month and a half ago. I devoted considerable amount of time, meanwhile, in the Exchange Invest weekend feature last Saturday to recent management failure and the risk of passive management at bourses, largely prompted by first CME's Cushing crisis and then Singapore Exchange's glaring failure to retain the MSCI index contracts now under the licence suzerainty of Hong Kong exchanges who are eager to share them with the Chinese mainland. 
Singapore Exchange's growth ambitions undermined by MSCI's Hong Kong move went the Reuters headline, and indeed there were a series of similar issues concerned with the loss of business 10-15% to of profits after all to Hong Kong exchanges by the Singapore Exchange. Let's face it, traditional parish mutuals were managed passive on most occasions, and passive management is just dire for the balance sheet. If you have profit pizzazz, it is beholden on you to offer a sound service and make money. That grows the economy and makes everybody more prosperous. The problem right now is the lax managers of the world who have put the business on cruise control at SGX while milking some monopoly or other. And indeed, it goes for other similar quasi-monopolies too around the world beyond the city-state of Singapore. Singapore Exchange has just been hit between the eyes by precisely this kind of unimaginative management, however. The trouble is that while the Business Times in Singapore may have been offering an olive branch of a headline, giving up MSCI licensing may hurt, but Singapore Exchange has more strings to its bow, went a headline earlier this week. The trouble is the SGX now looks more like a lone fiddler with a few tune books on their music stand, when everybody else has built at least a chamber ensemble, if not a full symphony orchestra repertoire under an acknowledged maestro conductor. I mentioned at the top of the show, London Stock Exchange finds broad backing for a shorter trading day, as the headline from Reuters put it. Problem is, broad backing was in the shape of no more than 140 respondents. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like it's very representative of the stock market as a whole. Derivatives dervishes will wonder at how the already shorter hours of equity traders in London might become shorter still, albeit subject to a multitude of caveats and conditionals, which I cannot actually see cohesively coming to pass, not before somebody, indeed maybe me, decides to run just a pre-post-hours ATS MTF anyway to make the shorter London day that little bit longer as it used to be, and therefore help along the derivatives traders of the world with their delta. Albeit, Moscow Exchange promptly expanded their market hours, and indeed getting consensus across Europe and with the likes of the Swiss Exchange may prove incredibly tough. One cancellation this week, the London Metals Exchange have cancelled the 2020 London LME week due to the coronavirus impact. Or as Bloomberg put it, it's official, the hottest party in the metals world is cancelled. I always felt LME Week had more economic value than, say, Cybos, fair enough, that's a low benchmark, which appears to be broadly bereft of purpose beyond, well, kidney stress testing for the middle-aged. However, the notion that Bloomberg headlines the party before the serious business of the Rustafarian classes is a tad worrying at least for the image of Metals Week. Brazil's stock exchange operator, B3, they have changed a wadge of goodwill to a potential loss amid a tax dispute which dates all the way back to their 2008 acquisition of rival Bovespa Holdings. That thorny question of China revives again as the Chinese London listing programme seems to be undergoing a new lease of life. Therefore, the Shanghai London Stock Connect, admittedly under strained British Sino ties, is looking at providing more business and more listings for overseas exchanges. All the same with, of course, considerable competition from Hong Kong et al. The thing is, that came in the same week that the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson wrote in the South China Morning Post an opinion piece, Britain to offer an alternative to Hong Kongers fearing for their way of life. 
It'll be interesting to see how the Shanghai London Connect fares, given that Huawei will almost certainly be scaled back if not removed from the UK 5G network, amongst other pending moves as a UK opinion against China hardens, exacerbated by the recent Hong Kong security law, which is perceived to run against the handover agreement, which saw the UK ceding Hong Kong sovereignty to China, but still has 27 years to run. Elsewhere, one exchange in the world remains closed. Nepsi, the Nepal stock exchange, reopened briefly and then was promptly shut down again. It will be closed until June the 14th, albeit with admirable media management. They initially promulgated the date in the Nepalese calendar. So now we at least know that June the 14th means the 32nd of Jestha, 2077. Over Nigeria, congratulations to them. The Nigerian Commodity Exchange have commissioned 12 delivery warehouses. Results this week. MCX, the multi-quantity exchange of India, reported strong Q4 and full year results, but that still hasn't stopped them from battening down the hatches. Senior management are undergoing salary cuts as the MCX worries about the commodity outlook for the year ahead. Nevertheless, the quarter saw a net profit increase of 7% year-on-year, not as spectacular as many, but nonetheless rather encouraging, while the spectacular yearly profits were up 62%. More stability came from the Vienna Stock Exchange, who put in a stable financial year during 2019, albeit with part of the year, of course, being masked as a result of short-selling bans from the Austrian regulator as soon as the markets got volatile. COVID-19 is a killer. Can it kill your career, or is that the impact of fintech destroying your business? It's a victory-or-death world of risk and opportunity. To understand how technology is affecting life and markets, there's a new book to help you. 20 years on from the excitement of the original fintech bestseller, Capital Market Revolution, it's time to look at some of those loose strands hanging around which need a spot of perspective, whether you are an exchange parishioner, a fintech professional, or anybody just trying to stay abreast of where technology is now driving investments and finance. Victory or Death, Blockchain, Cryptocurrency and the Fintech World is an easy read explaining the differing and diverging role of banks and exchanges, explaining the winning business models of the new world order, and placing in perspective just what Bitcoin, blockchain and cryptocurrency mean for markets. 70,000 words of pure play PLY pith, pacily discussing matters of moment and revisiting the original trailblazing first fintech bestseller, Capital Market Revolution, which when published in 1999 proved, even if I say so myself, rather prescient. It's a binary world post-COVID-19. Your career will sustain or collapse in the next stage of the digital world. Hence the title, Victory or Death, lest you need reminding of the exciting times for finance in which we are living. Victory or Death is published by DB Books and is distributed by Ingram Worldwide. Meanwhile, while you're waiting for your copy of Victory or Death to arrive, after the podcast, try our Pugcast, IPO-Vid. In Patrick's opinion, comes to the small screen with a series of investor videos with my guest star, Toby the Pug. Fabulous and fascinating product news this week is led by Moscow Exchange. They've offered a new analytics product, Open Interest Intraday for Futures. I love this concept. It's a great example of MOEX thinking outside the box, as has been their want since the creation of MySex and RTS. A really fascinating idea gives traders and investors something to ponder and is a logical byproduct of modern data management. Hyper cool and can only encourage more trading. Elsewhere, lots of debate over LIBOR. The UK authorities are determined at the idea that they are not going to allow any form of delay to the replacement for the LIBOR benchmarks. At the same time, banks in the UK have requested legislative fix to the LIBOR-linked financial contracts they are holding. 
Does anybody else feel a standoff repo is being engineered here? If pandemic is not going to delay the LIBOR phase-out, then surely we must also look to the multiple alternatives that could be on offer. One of those, of course, is Ameribor, and that, Professor Richard Sanders' fabulous innovation, was given a welcome push ahead this week. A written statement by the Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell regarded Ameribor as a suitable replacement for LIBOR contracts. This is important because we know Fed Chairman Powell is more of a pluralist than many of the monotheistic one-size-fits-all advocates amongst other central banks or regulatory bodies who believe a single benchmark can satisfy every interest rate market participant. That strikes me as a heady order, which one might add defies even the elements of economics as I understand them. Therefore, the case for Meribor as the replacement for LIBOR continues to gain ground, at least for smaller and mid-sized banks, particularly in localised areas such as the states of the United States of America. Elsewhere, Indian banks have started trading in non-deliverable forwards for the first time out of the IFSC in Gujarat in Gift City. One great example of why markets work, buyers of electricity contracts in the new IEX, a real-time market, saw prices 21% cheaper than the average electricity price had been before the market was invented during the course of the last week. Some even argued that consumers were getting anything up to 42% cheaper power during the course of real-time market trading on even the first day of trade at the Indian Energy Exchange. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up. Or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome wherever you find this podcast. In regulation, IOSCO are consulting on outsourcing principles to ensure operational resilience. That also coincides with, later in the week, an ESMA white paper. They're consulting on cloud outsourcing guidelines. This is a sensible area to peruse and deliver some simple guidelines. At the same time, the EU, and indeed ESMA, obsession with over-complexity and that rotten precautionary principle at the heart of the EU's design is always a worry, as is the danger of implicit bias in favour of larger data centres within larger financial centres. There need to be pragmatic guidelines here so as not to drive up the cost, nor leave the parish and all surrounding regulated entities stuck with a complex web of box ticking which fails to assist pragmatic and dynamic use of outsourcing solutions to the cloud. And indeed, on that note, there was a study this week published in International Investment discussing how EU regulations bring standardisation yet a high level of complexity that may defeat purpose. At least it codifies what we already know, a sound path in an effort to blunt the blob. We probably can never defeat it, albeit the EU may soon defeat itself. Exchange Invest is the daily must-read by the most influential figures operating the world's best markets. We invite you to join the exclusive group of Boris Bosses and other C-suite executives who make Exchange Invest the exchange of information, their daily business intelligence guide to markets the world over. Exchange Invest is available to subscribers at US$200 per user per year or currency equivalent. You can get more details at exchangeinvest.com or email me patrick at derivativesvision.com. 
People News this week. Congratulations to the former Sinober CEO and RBC parish analyst Peter Lenardos, who is making a welcome return to the fray from July the 20th. Peter will become CFO of Prop Trading through training company OSTC with interests across the world. Peter joins a hugely strengthened OSTC team after a period of consulting with the firm. As readers will recall, OSTC is led by Bors veteran CEO Lee Hodgkinson, who, parishioners will recollect, has only ever recorded a single career failing, albeit in a manner of speaking. He was insufficiently French to lead Euronext. Last year, OSTC also added C-suite depth, with former city banker Ian Cohen becoming COO. Presumably this time around, Peter's term as CFO won't be quite as dramatic as his Sinober spell where the removal of the CEO left him in charge of the sale to Nasdaq soon after he joined the Swedish vendor. Anyway, delighted to see Peter back in the parish and all the best to the Dynamic OSTC team. Meanwhile, Andrei Berilov has been appointed as the new Chief Information Officer of Moscow Exchange. At the same time, Eddie Astanen is being promoted to CEO of the CCP of the MOEX as a result of Alexei Kavan being appointed to the executive board of Moscow Exchange's overall. In Brexit news this week, only one story you really need to focus on. The Bank of England has told UK banks, increase your preparations for a no-deal outcome. And that, ladies and gentlemen, brings us towards the end of Exchange Invest Weekly, episode 048, with an exhortation to look at another podcast entirely. For every week, from the library of the New York Stock Exchange at the corner of Wall and Broad Streets in New York City, comes Inside the Ice House, the podcast from Intercontinental Exchange on markets, leadership and vision in global business. It's all about the dream drivers that have made the NYSE an indispensable institution of global growth for over 225 years. Each week, the podcast features stories of those who have plans, create jobs, and harness the engine of capitalism right here, right now, at the NYSE and at ICE exchanges and clearinghouses around the world. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this week's Inside the Ice House conjoined the New York Stock Exchange Library virtually with Valletta Malta, where it was my honour to record Inside the Ice House, episode 178. Victory or death, Patrick L. Young, international man of mystery, is licensed to pith. That was made with the excellent Josh King, and my thanks to everybody at ICE and NICE who made the discussion happen, including Pete Ash, Ian Wolfe, and Rebecca Mitchell, amongst others. While the mysterious and magnificent epithet for Patrick L. Young has already been voted the perfect epithet for PLY by my friends everywhere. Due to ongoing concerns about COVID-19, it may be months before anybody is allowed to kiss the Blarney Stone as per the Irish tradition. However, having been accused of sprinkling crumbles of said stone on my breakfast cereal for many years now, I'm happy to report that I have no need for a top-up embrace to maintain my current pith rate. I'll let you be the judge of that based on this podcast and, of course, episode 178 of Inside the Ice House. And on that mysterious and magnificent note, ladies and gentlemen, I wish you a great week in markets. This is Patrick L. Young saying thank you for listening to the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. 
Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our programme, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.